Happy Martin Luther King Day. Oh my goodness. Uh, this is a day that I hope people are committing themselves to acts of service. If you're taking time out to tune into the Bukhari Sellers podcast, I just want to thank you. Today we'll be interviewing comedian and writer Amber Ruffin and her sister Lacey Lamar about their new book, You Won't Believe What Happened to Lacey. But before we get to them, I wanted to talk about how we remember Dr. King today. And especially in light of the moment we're in and how we sift through the inevitable watering down of Dr. King's legacy that unfortunately happens every King Day. It's also Inauguration Week. And as we prepare for inauguration this week, our nation's capital is in lockdown as we have more troops in Washington, D.C. for the inauguration than we do in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. So we'll also be celebrating the life of Dr. King on the heels of a resurgence in white supremacist domestic terrorism the same force that took his life. So when you see conservatives misquote Dr. King this week, as you know they will, they're also the same people who don't want to call this month's violent insurrection what it is. And they're the same people like my Senator Lindsey Graham who want to talk about healing, but they can't tell you what they will do to actually protect us from the terrorists all around. Honoring Dr. King's life should also include fighting the forces that took it. So every politician with the King tweet or statement about King needs to answer the question about how they'll address domestic terrorism. And while I'm sure many of our listeners know this, it's worth reminding folks that on this day, Dr. King died supporting sanitation workers and as a soldier in the Poor People's Campaign. COVID and its toll on working Americans' lives and their livelihood has been a stark reminder that we need a second war on poverty. And Dr. King's holiday is as good a time as any to remind the same people that like to quote Dr. King on King Day that he was a radical democratic socialist poverty fighter whose politics they don't share. Let's play this clip of Dr. King talking about his pivot to fighting poverty after the successes of the civil rights era legislation. I think the time has come to bring to bear the power of the direct action, the nonviolent direct action movement on the basic economic conditions that we face all over the country. Nonviolence has been a tremendous force in grappling with the social problem of legal segregation and the syndrome of deprivation surrounding that system. And of course it has been a major force in grappling with the political problem of the denial of the right to vote. But in winning victories like the Civil Rights Bill of 64 and the Voting Rights Bill of 1965 around uh, the issue of segregation and voting rights, we discovered that uh, these uh, legislative strides uh, did very little to improve the lot of the millions of Negroes in the ghettos of the North and in the nation generally. In other words, it did very little to penetrate the lower depths of Negro deprivation uh, in communities all over. We can't let people who don't share Dr. King's politics reduce him to one quote in a single speech. And King Day is an opportunity for all of us to recommit ourselves to economic justice and fighting the forces of white supremacy that took Dr. King from us far too soon. And that's that on that. Now on to our episode with Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a 
car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. So we have a great show today. I want to welcome to the show Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. What's going on, ladies? How y'all doing? Hey, doing Hi. good. <laughs> hey, I'm loving. I'm loving the style and everything. How's life going? How, with everything going on in the world, in the midst of a pandemic, an economic recession, a racial reckoning, how y'all feeling? <laughs> Besides all of that, <laughs> great. Hey, okay. sure. Besides Ooh. that, you know how was how was the parade? Uh, Miss Kennedy, besides everything else. I know it's it's a tough, it's a tough guy. <laughs> we start every episode by having our guests walk through the arc of their careers. And I wanted to start with Lacey. Uh, you're both from Omaha. And Lacey, you live and work in Omaha. You've yes. had a career in corporate America, and that's a lot of uh, the fodder of your, for your book. But walk us through the arc of your career in corporate America to now being an author. Um, I thought that I was in the best job of my life. It really was my dream job. When I got the job, I told Amber, oh my God, I'm now at this corporate job and I love it. And, but every job I have, not just corporate, has really been the exact same thing. It's being, you know, one of the only black people in the room, if not mm-hmm. the only black person in the room. And the, can I swear on here? The horrible yeah. comments, the dumbass comments <laughs> that I get and having to navigate through what do I say? Do I lose my job today? I mean, that is just a weekly thing. Do I lose my job today? Because, you know, if I if I speak up and say what I really want to say, I'm not going to have that. Oh, I, I go through those moments on CNN all the time. It's the, the time. do I get do I get fired today? Do wall. I get fired today? Yeah, because the CEO called me colored gal. Like, do I say, what do you do? That's that one, that one might be an exit. That one, yeah. that one. you think it would. <laughs> that <laughs> might be an exit, and a, but it's a it's a pot of gold where at the end of that rainbow. In Nebraska, where are you going to work? Because <laughs> you think that's the thing. Well, that's yeah, true. you really have to. I I tell people all the time. I have sat there and gone, 
okay, if I walk out now, do I have enough to do the rent? And then this, and then my daughter has this. <laughs> okay, yeah. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I have done that math so many times. And I've also gotten to work and sat in my car and just been like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and go back home. And <laughs> they're like, but we saw you in the parking lot. And Amber calls that you called in racism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a mental health day. You got to take it's a mental health day. But I think now they need to add racism on yes. for everybody. You called in racism. You get about three days. Whew. Now, Amber, you've got your own show not on Peacock. Everybody. Uh, not everybody. You've got your <laughs> own show on Peacock, Amber, the Amber Ruffin Show. And you've been a writer for the Seth Meyer Show for some time now. Walk us through the arc of your career in comedy from doing improv in Omaha to having your own show. The arc of my career is long, but it bends towards spreading this book. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry, yeah, we've been horrible all week. The, my career started in, I moved from Omaha to Chicago, and then I started improvising and interning at an improv theater. Then I auditioned for a theater called Boom Chicago, where I wrote and performed sketch comedy and improv. And then after two years at Boom Chicago in Amsterdam, I came back to uh, Chicago and I didn't know. after. Boom Chicago and Amsterdam, I did The Second City, which is a American comedy theater in Denver. Then I did The Second City main stage in Chicago. Then I went back to Boom Chicago for another three years. And then I spent two years in L.A. trying to make it. Ooh, so do you have a, while you're doing these improv, do you have like another job? No, I worked as a full-time improviser. There oh, are wow. only like 20 such jobs in the world. And I got two of them. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I was lucky enough. But then when I moved to L.A., I was a nanny for a baby, which was great because I freaking love a baby. Um, <laughs> was it a white I baby, got, a white baby, a black baby? What do you think? <laughs> you, would walk, you would walk around with a little blonde hair, blue eye, white baby, weren't you? Just <laughs> Yes, I still love him. He was a perfect little baby. Uh, <laughs> And I then I got this job at late night with Seth Myers. How does that happen? What do you what do you I mean, do you just send a resume in on LinkedIn? What you just DM Seth? No, but I could have because Seth Myers also did Boom Chicago in Amsterdam. Uh. So I knew him because he would come back and visit when alumni would come back and visit every year. So I assume he got me the audition for SNL. Remember years ago when SNL auditioned all those black women, auditioned for that and didn't get it, but instead got a writing position at Late Night Seth. Oh, my goodness. I mean, blessings. God works in mysterious ways. Let's, let's talk about the book, You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism. First, congratulations on getting the book done. Um, I know that's a challenge in itself and published. There are a lot of people walking around who listening to this show who got whole books done. They just throw it on their computer and can't get them published. So I just want to say congratulations. But I guess the question goes to both of y'all. Why did y'all write this book? It has just been um, something that we've always talked about doing. It's been a running joke with family and friends. Whenever something bizarre, racist, whatever would happen to me, they would be like, that's going in your book. And Amber would be like, that's Y'all got racism racism in Nebraska? Yeah, a little. (laughs) Um, So it just, just became this joke. Like, 
people would always say, that's going in the book, you know? And then one day Amber called me and she's like, I think we, we, we can do this. Mm. I had, um, I would keep a, a journal uh, for work. <laughs> Anything, some, anytime something racist would happen, I would write that down because, you know, you got to go to HR or you got to prove that it happened and what they say and the date and the time. I had journals and journals and journals of these situations and things that happened to me. And when it came time to write the book, I pulled them all out. And the book wrote, wrote itself. It wrote itself. Yeah. Oh, that's dope. Now, uh, most of your stories come from your hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. For both of you, talk about growing up black in Omaha, because I think most people don't know how big Omaha is and that it has a thriving black community. But talk about what it's like growing up and live black in a community like Omaha. Because, but you know, for a long period of time, I just thought Simone was the only black person that I knew from Omaha. But now I know <laughs> oh, it's, it's three of y'all. Yeah, there's three of us. <laughs> Don't forget Gabrielle Union. Um, they uh, it, growing up black in Omaha, Nebraska is pretty bad. So I hear, <laughs> but you know, if it's how you grew up, it doesn't seem crazy. And Omaha is, you know, surrounded by uh, hell. <laughs> you know like yeah. Omaha is the big city to a lot of people yeah. and when you travel city. a little bit outside of Omaha like mm-hmm. when you're in Omaha okay odds are someone's gonna say something crazy to you but it won't be like mm, yeah there, there is there's no, no subtlety what you're saying it's not subtle yes but if you go outside of Omaha, Nebraska, then, you know, you're in your regular ass 1950s danger. You're going <laughs> to so, get it. Yeah. So it's I guess it is tough. But our neighborhood, we should really do a study on our five siblings, because when mom and dad moved into the neighborhood, it was white. And then they had five kids and I'm the youngest. And by the time I went to elementary school, it was plenty black. Yeah. So, mm. it, yeah. So for me, it was still bad. It was beginning to be like that white flight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We started white flight. We ran out. (laughs) We're walking through history right now. So when you when you read the book, people come with the crazy racist stories to Lacey and not Amber. What is it about Lacey? Lacey is a foot shorter than me. (laughs) She is. Oh, so they bring all the BS to her door. I don't think I'm a foot shorter. You are one foot shorter than me. She's a tiny person. And she's adorable. (laughs) She's she's there. Like she's she right there. She can 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 smell her. She smells a lot, but um she no, I do think she seems really like kind and approachable. And I seem kind of like brash and it seems like I would stab you. I'm not sure if that's a, I don't even think that's a, a feeling. That's not a seems like. That is, that is, you will stab. It's a fact. It's a fact. People <laughs> can see the fact. But I am. But I know what they don't know is she's the They stabbing. don't know. I will stab you. Oh, my goodness. So uh, one of my favorite stories from the book is about Lacey's racist coworker in HR. And for background for my white listeners, HR for black people is like the principal's office because the people that are often in corporate HR are people who have no business in HR. But talk about the story about your team lunch with Nancy from HR and her neighbor from India. Oh, yeah. So um, it was just like a thing whenever someone started a job. And I was actually there on her interview. That's a whole nother story. Um, When you're (laughs) hired, 
you take them to lunch. So our little team took her to lunch and we're eating at this restaurant. So then everyone starts talking about going around the table, naming their favorite food. And someone said Indian food. And she was like, oh, Indian food is gross. And Indian people, they're just dirty. And I said, whoa, 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 how are Indian people dirty? And she said, well, we had this neighbor and his yard was unkempt and the grass was getting longer. And then he would go out and try to mow the lawn and he couldn't use the lawnmower. And I said, so how is that? How does that make him dirty? Well, he didn't know how to use it. And then my husband had to come out and show him how to use it. I said, I don't even mow my own lawn. I don't know how to use a lawnmower. I have somebody do that for me. Does that make me dirty? So then I said, so did he finally learn how to mow the lawn? Yes. So where did this story coming from? What's making him dirty? conversations like that. That was like every day thing. And she was the HR person first day. You're coming at us with that, that Indian people are dirty. Oh, man. I hope that, I hope your insurance covers uh, <laughs> mental health counseling out there. This sounds like a, like a, like a surreal sitcom. This yeah. can't even go on regular TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, HBO has a room in that lineup. <laughs> Now, every black person could tell you that there's another black person that white people think they look like. For example, white people get me and Andrew Gillum confused all the time. Lacey, talk about the story where the white person thought you were <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. And, oh for those and for those listening who can't see either Amber or Lacey, neither of them look anything like Whoopi. But shout out Whoopi. Uh, talk, about, talk about that one. I love Whoopi, too. Uh, you don't I look like Whoopi. At, I was in Estes Park. Up in the mountains, we're going around this little town. You know, uh, I call it the trinket shops. We go into this little shop and these two old white women are in there. When I go in, they are so happy to see me and they go, Whoopee! the lady yells it just like that. And so I say, Whoopee! hey, thinking she's excited to see me in there a little bit longer. And she's like, I can't believe you're in the store. Oh my gosh, I love your movies. And I'm like, this lady doesn't know who I am. I'm still not thinking Whoopi Goldberg. And then she just starts naming some of the movies. And I You were like, amazing in Sister Act. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, she thinks I'm Whoopi Goldberg. Now she starts pulling stuff out, asking me if I want to go ahead and take it. So I was Whoopi Goldberg that day. I <laughs> got me some free stuff. I wasn't going to, you know, tear her down and ruin her you know, dream. This happens to me sometimes. This is like the third time I've told this story. Kai, my producer, is going to be mad at me for telling this story so much. But people get me and Michael B. Jordan confused all the time. Ooh, okay. <laughs> it's the wildest thing. They be, like, they be like, aren't you dating Lori Harvey? I'm like, that's not even me. That's not even me. So I feel, I feel what you're saying. I understand where you come from. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but I did get some free shirts. That's all I mean. I owe, I owe you some shirts. They still got your picture up in the store talking about Whoopi was here. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. 
I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So one of the things I can appreciate about your book is you say that the intent of your book is to educate white people. So for the white reader uh, of your book, what do you want them to get out of it? I want both of you all to answer this one. What do we want white people to get out of the book? Some lessons on what not to do. I think white people, I mean, I hope white people when they read this book will go, oh, you know who does this? My boss. Or you know who does this? Me. Or my uncle or my friend. And then they will check people when they act that way. Like we can all talk about uh, being hurt and what is hurtful and uh, what is uh, acceptable behavior and what's not. But until it's condemned, it's just going to keep going. You know, Trump has turned up the craziness. Trump has enabled, emboldened racist. And I think we now we have to do work to undo what he has done. And White people need to get comfortable with that work and get to work, please. You know, I I tell uh, people that Donald Trump didn't start or create racism. And then I go back to uh, the events at the Capitol and I go back to the Charlottesville riots and I ask people and I'll ask you, what was the what was the you know, when you look at the insurrection in Capitol Hill and you look at Charlottesville, what stood out to you the most? The fact that everyone was white. (laughs) That stood out. I mean, that. What stood out to me the most is after it happened, the excuses. It yeah. wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that bad. I mean, the, and most of those people weren't even Trump supporters. They are Antifa yeah. and all this crazy stuff. It's like immediately the excuses came up. What stood out to me the most was that they didn't wear hoods. They didn't wear masks. So even in their racism and bigotry and xenophobia, they were like, you get all of me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like we're here. I'm like, I'm old enough to remember when racism wasn't cool. And here yeah. they go marching on the Capitol with the Confederate flag. And and it's not just fat kids playing Xbox in their grandma's garage. It's like state legislators and bankers and police officers firefighters and fighter. And yeah. yeah. So it's wild. How can listeners buy You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey? Anywhere books are sold, it is there. If you want the audio um, book, it is there. And it can also be on your Kindle. It's everywhere. Who read it? Did it? Did you guys read well, it for the? Wasn't that the hardest thing you've ever had to do? It was weird. Yeah, I, there's are like 
I skip over some of it because I just don't want to hear it right now. <laughs> when I was reading it, like my throat hurt. It was the beginning of COVID. I was like, oh shit, they got the thing right now. And you forget how to read. And it's just like you in here for three days. You you see words that you've never said aloud. You just you've just written them. I mean, it's a I'm a, I'm going to go back and listen to you to read. Now that you said you are the 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 narrators of it, I'm gonna go back and listen to this. Amber, I want to make sure that listeners hear about your show, the Amber Ruffin Show on Peacock. How'd the show come about? And tell us what what's happening on the Amber Ruffin Show on Peacock. All kinds of craziness is happening on my show. So I am a writer on Late Night with Seth Meyers. And, you know, we write a lot of bits. And at one point we thought, wow, I have enough bits left over. I could probably do a weekly show if I just had the teeniest bit of help. Um, and I write it with, another writer on the show named Jenny Hagel. So between the two of us, we can generate enough stuff. So now we write for both shows. And on my show, I just tell the truth. (laughs) So I really have been experimenting on late night Seth and being like, how much of the truth will they let me say out loud into the camera? (laughs) And once they let me be like, I've never trusted a single cop. And I got to say that out loud into the camera on national television. I was like, oh, there are no rules here. So <laughs> on the Amber Rapid Show Peacock, we just say what our true feelings are. In corporate America and in, and in media and comedy, I mean, I, I think that people hear it, but since I have two dynamic Black women on the show, and I talk about it a lot on this show, on my podcast, but talk about the plight and how many challenges you guys face day in and day out becoming the successes that you are. Cause when people see you sitting here, they see you writing books, they see you on TV, they see you in corporate America. Some people want to sit back and say, Oh, they made it like, this is easy. But I just want you to talk about both of you guys in your respective fields, the obstacles you had to overcome just being black women. And the fact that I know white people are always like, can I touch your hair? I still have to go back to Nebraska. <laughs> I don't oh, you better anymore. not. You better not say too much then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he like cut her up. <laughs> they go. They go. Your key to the city. Your key to the city ain't happening no more. Like Amber has this freedom that I still don't know what that feels like. Because do you want it? Do you want it? Yes, I want it. I want to free everybody in the press. Open <laughs> <laughs> everybody. Anyway. Um, and I don't have that. I was just saying that even here, I went to the store and I had this big purse. And I was like, why are you carrying this? No one in New York carries the big purse. And I'm, and I'm digging in it, but then I stop. Because in Nebraska, you're in a store. You can't dig in your purse more than a couple times in a store. They're going to think you're stealing. And then they stop you. And then I realized nobody cares about me here. There's lots of black people. And nobody's looking at me. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, oh my God, I'm not in that confined box. Yeah. And I'm sure Amber, uh, she can come to work and be herself and say all these things. I can't say a smidge of what she says at my job. I can't just freely talk about the police officers and all this stuff. So, yeah, I wouldn't last. Amber? Um, Being a Black woman in comedy, a writer, I mean, at, at your level, I mean, how difficult is that? It was difficult in that, I mean, because if you look around. I just don't think there are many of y'all. There aren't a lot of us. Um, so it was very lonely. Then Robin Thede came along and I was like, I love Robin. And then it just 
snowballed. I remember once we had a dinner for Robin Thede's birthday. Robin Thede loves nothing more than Black women doing comedy. It's truly her favorite thing. So we called every Black woman in late night. And table for six? All had table for eight. And we <laughs> that around and ate dinner, and it was truly one of the best times. I feel like we were missing one person from L.A. That's it. But now, you know, that was years ago. Now, I think we would have to get a party room. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Progress. Only. But I, it's your regular, regular black shit is, you know, by the time I got this job, it had been my full-time job to write and perform comedy for eight or nine years, full-time. Meanwhile, there's lots of people writing late night, and they're fresh out of, you know, college. But- after eight years, then, okay, I can finally move up to the next level. So that's a part of it. I have a good friend named uh, Clark Jones who is is toiling in the vineyard, the, the comedy vineyard, and, and doing great work and, you know, writing some scripts and doing some other things. Shout out to Clark. Uh, but we, we always talk about how times have changed. Have you found it to be more difficult to write comedy in this new environment, this new politically correct environment? No. For me, it has gotten easier because you don't have to make any workarounds. Like, I don't have to gently say, uh-oh, a cop is here. I feel a little scared. Isn't that crazy? What? I, I, You don't have to do it like that anymore. You can just hmm. go, this bitch is going to try to kill me. You know, you can... <laughs> It's you can just tell uh, the one which is a lot funnier than the first one. I was like, where's she going yeah. with this joke? That's a lot. The direct line is a lot. Yeah. Is a lot line. funny. That's a, it's a very good example. That's exactly how fast and clean everything is now, because we are all kind of on the same page. You know, it's like if I were to do a show for people who make paper, which I have had to do, um, then I would, you know. I'd go in there and I'd make jokes about goldenrod and how that's such a loud color and blah, you know, but if I did that shtick for us, we would, I would be met with silence. And that's how talking about racism used to be. But now even white people would be like, yeah, bosses can be a trip. You know, now we're all a little more on the same page and it, it really makes my job a lot easier. So with both of you guys doing so much, and I know you guys are worn out, it's nothing like these press tours where you can't leave your house. They just don't have the same excitement of hopping on and off of planes. You're just sitting here. Who are we Zooming with next? Okay. <laughs> do I have to put on pants for this Zoom or not? I know. Uh, so my question is, what should we expect from both of you all next? I know you say you're going back to Omaha. You think after this book. I don't know. And you have a show on, on Peacock that's doing so well, but what's next? Is there a late night show in your future? Is there another book or CEO of a Fortune 500 or 100 company in your, I mean, what's next? What's on your vision boards, ladies? Maybe definitely another book, but I am going back to Omaha. I'm going back. Y'all should make this a script. This writes itself and this would be. Who knows? Who knows? There I, go think, there I go thinking out loud and I'm not even on an edible right now and I still got good ideas. <laughs> well thank you ladies for your time today it's been a pleasure spending some time with you guys getting to know both of you all if i can ever be of any assistance i'm actually waiting to get the hard copy of the book because sometimes i do my cnn hits from right here and so i will put the book over my shoulder so you will get some some free some free publicity around the world so yeah please watch 
Please watch. I know we got one peacock over there, but it's okay. I got friends at Peacock. You guys can come over. Yeah. Uh, you guys yes. can come over. It's a blessing. You guys uh, are making me so proud, and I, I hope that my daughters will read your book and, and know that they can go out and be great ladies like you are. Thank you, and God bless you for your time. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Before I let you go today, I wanted to first note that this is the last episode that will air, dot, 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 when Donald Trump is your president. This week, literally on day one, we'll see a flurry of executive actions from President Biden, ranging from lifting the Muslim ban to rejoining the Paris Climate Accords to extending freezes on evictions and student loan payment interest from accruing. Last week, the Biden-Harris transition released a $1.9 trillion proposal that included $400 billion to get more vaccines in arms, $350 billion for state and local governments to plug holes in their budget, $1,400 stimulus payments, expanding unemployment insurance, and a potentially transformative expansion of the child tax credit, giving real financial relief to the Americans they needed most. This is part one, the relief package of the Biden plan to build back better that will include a recovery package with more money for small businesses, infrastructure investments that can finally move us forward, and we'll finally have adults running the country again. And that's that on that. Happy King Day. Let's pray for an uneventful inauguration, and we'll see you on Thursday where we'll be interviewing my brother, journalist and writer, Wesley Lowry. Good.